Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. All right, so we're in Revelation chapter 7, and I'm going to read 1 through 8, and then we will start analyzing this piece of scripture. Okay, starting in verse 1, if you have your Bible apps, open it up. Oh, Bible app. We have a King's Church Bible app. Isn't that great? You say, what do you mean do we have a King's Church Bible app? Something I've been talking about for years. Everybody with an iPhone, raise your hand. Okay, great. There's a few stragglers that don't. Um, Open up iOS and just the App Store and just type in Knockout Bible Reader or Knockout Bible Reading. You'll see our King's Church K. It'll be in yellow, and that's our little speed reading Bible reading app. I was on the subway one day, and I was like, man, I'd love to speed read Ephesians right now. Uh, and they didn't have an app. And then I had some guys develop it, and now it's finally a very simple version is up, and it'll be being developed in more in depth as the months come forward. But download it. I think you should read the Bible slow and fast and medium and audio Bible it and physically read it in any way that you can get it in you, get it in you. Amen? Okay, good. Um, all right, let's read this. Speaking of the Bible, Revelation 7, verse 1. And John the Revelator is prophesying, as we know, he's a prophet. He's seeing a picture from God and declaring it to man. And this is what he says in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed, and from Reuben, 12,000, and from Gad, 12,000, from Asher, 12,000, from Naphtali, 12,000, from Manasseh, 12,000, from Simeon, 12,000, from Levi, 12,000, from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000, from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000, from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, and from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Okay, so... We were just walking through the seven seals. That was chapter six. Uh, Now we're in a new chapter, chapter seven, and we have this phrase. And this phrase goes like this, and after those things I saw. And we've been saying every time that John says, and after those things I saw, it's a new vision or a new picture that he's relating to us. It's not a chronological order. It doesn't mean this is how history is going to play out. He's seeing another picture. If you remember, we went through these seals that were broken um, by Jesus, and it was unfolding the plan of God on earth. If you remember, we went through seals one, two, three, four. Those were judgment seals. Seal five was about the saints, and they're crying out to God for justice. Seal Seal six was about the ultimate judgment of God. And then seal seven, if you remember, wasn't actually cracked. It wasn't opened. And that's weird. It's like... You know, the chapter title is The Seven Seals uh, and Six, and he never actually gets the seven seals. The seventh seal will open later in the book. We'll see that later. Um, But John is seeing a new vision right now. 
And this is where we're at. And he says um, this. After that, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. Now, you see this number four is used a lot of times here, right? And so throughout Revelation, throughout the Bible, numbers have meaning. And the number four means completion or a completed order or a completed set. And so in Genesis, it says this. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for the signs and seasons for days and for years or completed times and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And so it was. Then God made two great lights, the greater to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. And he made stars also and God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over day and night and to divide light from the darkness And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. On the fourth day was the completion of the material world. And so if you think about fours, even in our world, they still often represent completion. If you think about our year, you have spring, summer, fall, Winter, four seasons, representing a completed year. It's a kind of completion. And so here we have four angels, four corners, and four winds that represent what? The angelic order of God, the complete order of God, the angels ruling and bringing judgment in a time, the four winds which represent the natural world and the natural elements of the world, and then the four corners of the earth, which is all of us on the, on the earth. And let's read some scriptures to establish some of these ideas. The four corners first represents the sovereignty of God over the whole world, Isaiah 11, 11. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time and recover the remnant of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from da-da-da-da, and the islands of the sea, verse 12. And he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel, and he will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now here we have the four corners. We have a completed number, and what you're going to see momentarily is that there's this group, this completed group of believers, 144,000, that represent the completed group of believers of all of time that are kind of there before the throne as God is unraveling this whole plan. Ezekiel 7.1, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, O son of man, this is what the Lord God says to the land of Israel. The end has come upon you. And, it, and upon the four, excuse me, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. The end is now upon you. And I will unleash my anger against you. So four, a time is completed and judgment is coming. Most Americans are materialists and they don't believe that God is real. And if he's real, we're just going to kind of phase into Buddhist kind of happy heaven. We're going to float around, you know, and hopefully we'll bump into each other. We'll see what happens. God's story is at the end of all things, severe judgment is coming. Judgment is coming to every man. Either you're found in Christ or you're not found in Christ. In the Christian story, judgment comes at the end. We don't talk about it very much. We talk about, you know, 
salvation and Jesus and heaven and all this kind of stuff, we forgot everywhere in the Bible, from the beginning to the end, all throughout the major and minor prophets, severe judgment is coming at the end. The four winds represent also the judgment of God. Jeremiah 20, 49, 35. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Behold, I will shatter Elam's bow, the mainstay of their might, and I will bring the four winds against Elam from the four corners of the heavens, and I will scatter them all to these winds. There will not be a nation to which Elam's exiles go. Again, four winds um, representing judgment, Daniel chapter 11. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. But as soon as he is established, his kingdom will be broken and parceled out on the four winds of heaven. If you remember... Two weeks ago, maybe it was, no, three weeks ago, we talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and all of those horsemen represented the judgment of God in various kinds of ways. So like the four horsemen represent the judgment of God, these four winds also represent the judgment of God that is going to come or comes in times and seasons at different places on the earth. And so our interpretive method of revelation is not, we're we're not people that believe this was written about just the end times and then it's not like it's irrelevant for the rest of the believer, but prophecy, this was in our first or second message on this, is cyclical. So it applies to different times and seasons and peoples in a cyclical manner. So it applies to the ends of nations as well as to the ultimate end. And I want to talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second. Um, the destructive effect is held off for a time, and then destruction comes. Let's read, let me read that, that scripture for one more time, and then I don't want you to miss that. The, the four angels are holding back, verse 1, the four winds of the earth, so that no wind shall blow on the earth or on the sea. Da-da-da-da-da. An angel says, do not harm these guys until... We have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So that destruction, chaos, this incredible judgment of God, this cosmic judgment is not going to come until the sons of God have been grabbed by the hand of God. Till they have been sealed, till they have been brought into the kingdom, and then God says, okay, now unroll this final judgment. Now, this, happens, this will happen in an ultimate sense at, when God wraps up this whole story, but it also happens in times and seasons. It happened in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed, and um, the, the, the historians say that in the city of Jerusalem, there were literal rivers of blood flowing because they were slaughtering so many, the Romans were slaughtering so many people. And not rivers like 10 feet high rivers, but the streets literally were flowing with blood because Rome was slaughtering Jerusalem. And I've said this in the past. It's like a statement I don't want to be online, but what are you going to do? I mean, in one sense, God said, if you kill my son, I'm now going to kill all of you. And that's exactly what happens to Jerusalem. That almost everyone in the city gets slaughtered by Rome. And Jesus says this before he dies. He says, it will be better to be without children to run for your lives. He said, the, the, the woman with child, it's a very bad day for her when the judgment of God comes. And it came to, the, to that city of Jerusalem. And ju- the judgment of God comes to places and peoples in different times. The winds of heaven, the judgment of God, the winds of heaven are held back until 
the people of God can be gathered, and then once they're gathered, the winds are released. All nations end. All nations are set up by men, and they have times of glory, and they have times of destruction. That will happen to our nation at some point, because it's set up by men. The only nation that will be everlasting is Jesus' nation. The kingdom of heaven is the only nation that will be everlasting. I love America, I love the Constitution, I love the roots of our nation, but I'm not stupid. I know that it will not last eternally. I know that only the kingdom of heaven will last eternally, and I'm not sure when our nation will collapse. Um, nations collapse like this. There's, Ernest Hemingway said, um, how do you go bankrupt? And he said, first it's gradual, then it's suddenly. Did, did Victor David Hansen, uh, Hansen say that as well, Stefan? I think he repeated that in the last couple of weeks at their small group. There's gradual corruption and then there's sudden collapse uh, because the infrastructure of the, of the nation state breaks down and people aren't resilient enough. They're, they haven't, they're not strong anymore. They're morally weak and corrupt and everything crashes and burns. That's the Tower of Babel story. Um, and that is likely going to happen at some point. When is it going to happen? I don't know. In 1972, a team of MIT scientists said that it's probably 1940 when the Western civilization will collapse. I've been reading a lot about it. I know right now there's a massive issue with diesel fuel. We talked about it this morning on the first service, um, that we have 28 days of diesel fuel left, and we're running out of it fast. And I don't know if you know this, but all of our goods are shipped on trucks, which are fueled by diesel fuel. And so if we have a collapse of our transportation system, you don't have, you're not growing tomatoes in your backyard, right? Like we're not, not in New York, right? Um, it will be a serious problem. And in that sense, we live in the sense of, we don't know when God says, you know what, you guys have been um, sexually, medically altering children. Like, you've been chemically castrating children as a nation. You've been pushing that policy. Remember Obama went to Kenya during his uh, administration. He's like, if you don't push homosexual marriage on your people, I'm going to pull all of your aid. Like, um, United States of America pushing sexual anarchy throughout the world based upon our policy. I don't know at what point God says, okay, time's up. I don't know when that happens. But when we read the scripture, it happens to peoples and nations that turn away from God. The angels hold back the winds for a time so that the people of God can be grabbed and chosen and stamped by the hand of God. And then God says, unleash the winds. Oh, man, I love Revelation. <laughs> Verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having, uh, just let me, let me go back a second, because I don't want to, I, I know I just dropped a bomb on you. I, I think the end times eschatology that is famous in certain denominations is, um, is shallow, because I think people look at America and say, if this nation dies, then the world is over. And I think that is a very vain way of looking at the world. There's an entire world. There's billions of people on the globe. God has a plan for all of the peoples in all of the earth. All of these tribes represent peoples of the earth. 
that God is stamping and choosing to be a part of his kingdom, it's not just America. Again, I love America. I got an America hat. I wear it all the time. I got an I got a, I got a American flag shirt I wear. I love America. But to think that just because America ends, the whole world ends, is a very shallow point of view. I believe that nations are judged by God when they walk in wickedness, but I also believe that if a people repents and turns from sin, God will heal their nation and heal their land. That's the promise, right, of Malachi. Um, if the people that are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from my, their wicked ways, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And he says to the angels, do not release the winds. I have more sons and daughters to grab from this people group, from this nation, from this time. Okay, verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a, long, with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their forehead. So the saints of God, the people that love Jesus, called by his name, have faith in the Christ, the risen Savior, who are walking and following him in righteousness, those people are protected from three things. They're protected from demonic attacks. They're protected from losing their salvation. And they're protected from physical harm. Um, and that physical harm, when I read the commentary, that's debated whether they're protected from physical harm. But there is actually a portion that we'll see later that they're, they're, they're protected from some physical harm. Okay, here, let's look at the seal. This seal that's on their head, oftentimes when we think of Revelation, we think of the mark of the beast. We only think of the bad guy seal. And we don't know that there's a God seal also that's on, marked on the head, not a bad guy seal, but the good guy seal. It's actually the marking of God on the believer. And it says here, we see it in the Old Testament a couple of places. Here in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 3, Now the glory of God, of the God of Israel, went up from above the cherubim, where it had been and moved to the threshold of the temple, then the Lord called to the man clothed in linen who had a writing kit at his side. And he said to him, go throughout the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. As I listened, he said to the others, follow him throughout the city and kill without showing pity or compassion on he that doesn't have the mark is what it goes on to say. So the person that's marked by God, one of the indicators is that they hate sin. If you're playing with sin, you're not marked. If you love sin, you are not marked by God. The marking of God in your life is moving away from sin. That's what it is. And so God says, here are my children. I love them. I've marked them. They're moving away from darkness. The ones that are still happy about sin and they think it's no big deal, destroy them all. That's exactly what it says here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him, you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were 
sealed, that's, a, that's that same word, marked or sealed by the spirit of truth. And this is what it says in chapter 4, verse 30, talking about Christians who are living in and walking in sin. It says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit in our life is the seal of God. It is the mark of God for the believer. And the apostle is saying, yo, don't live in blatant sin because you're grieving the heart of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who seals you. You don't want to grieve him. You don't want him to leave. Your seal is gone. There's protection for those who are sealed. In chapter 9, it says this, the fifth angel, we'll get to chapter 9 in a couple of weeks, sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. And the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. And the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth, and they were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Again, I know you hear me say this, but I feel like I'm preaching, I don't want to say against, but let me, I'll just say it, against the, the mainline evangelical church that, that's like God doesn't do judgment anymore. This is exactly what it's saying he does, specifically. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We, in faith, are in a new covenant, so our relationship with him is different. We're covered in the blood of Jesus. We repent. He forgives our sins. We're in a new relational construct. The rest of the world is not. Verse 4, and they were told not to harm the grass of the earth. Verse 5, and they were not allowed to kill them, the people that don't have the mark, but they were allowed to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a scorpion sting when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The people who are marked by the presence of God, by the Spirit of God, are not stung. They're not stung by the darkness of this world. They're not stung by the pain of the world. They're not stung by the judgment of God. But the people who are not sealed are. So we have these 144,000 people sealed. 12,000 from each tribe. 12 times 12 is 144. 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000. And they're the guys marked by the marking of God. And the other guys are... Are, are marked by the mark of the beast or the things not of God. And again, beasts are not some kind of like, you know, crazy monster that's going to arise out of the sea. The beast is the spiritless thing. And so when we talk about uh, secular fundamentalism or spiritless life, secularism, it's secularism fundamentally says this thing. There is no God. There is no spirit. There is only physical objects. That is the life of a beast. A life without spirit is actually the life of a beast. Life with spirit is how we're called to live with God. So our spirit comes alive when the spirit of God comes and touches us, and we say, we're more than just animals. The mark of the beast is, no, you are only just animals. You have evolved from a single-celled organism in a lukewarm pool, and you're just a slightly more complex animal. 
you have been marked by beastliness. There is no moral significance between you and a dog. And many, many people believe that way, right? That's the kind of life we live. That is a mark of the beast. Okay, the seal of God gives us both identification and ownership. 2 Timothy 2, 18 and 19. Those who have deviated from the truth, they say that the resurrection has already occurred. They undermine faith. Verse 19. Nevertheless, God's firm foundation stands firm, bearing this seal. This is the seal that we get. The Lord knows who's, who, th- those who are his. So having faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord knows who you are. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord must turn away from iniquity. 2 Timothy 2.19, New Testament, New Covenant. So you have both faith in Jesus and turning away from sin. Those are the marks of the believer. Faith in Jesus and turning away from iniquity. <laughs> The name of God on their head. Revelation 14, 1, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had the name, excuse me, who had his name, Jesus, and his Father's name written on their foreheads. They're sealed with the name of God, with the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're marked by God. They have faith in Jesus, and they're turning Now, listen to this, church. It doesn't say that they're morally perfect. It doesn't say they have completely, holistically turned. It says that they are turning away from iniquity. That they are in the process of being formed into the and fashioned into the image of Jesus. And when we reject the process, say, nah, I can do whatever I want, doesn't matter. Then I have to ask you if you're marked. Verse 14, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 9, the contrary mark. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wrath, excuse me, drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into his cup of wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, those with the mark of the beast. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image and for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Another, uh, another scripture that you will not find spoken in 99% of churches in America. Oh, sorry, we don't offend people. They're going to hell. They're going to hell. The believer is marked by the presence of God, by the Spirit of God. And the, Im- the symbols, the images, are not just in Revelation. They're not just in Ezekiel. They're also in the original function of the Aaronic priesthood. Exodus 28, 36. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as on a seal holy to the Lord. Verse 37. Fasten a blue cord to it and attach it to the turban. It is to be on the front of the turban. And it will be on Aaron's forehead. 
and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacrifice of gifts of the Israelites, that the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. This mark makes us acceptable to the Lord. This mark is the seal of the Holy Spirit on our life. And we are not Aaron, but we are a continuation of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is not, we don't do, we're not a church that does Shabbat and prayer shawls and pretend we're Israelites. We are the continuation of the true people of God. Romans makes that really clear. We've been grafted in to the tree of faith. We are a part of that lineage. We are a part of the Aaronic lineage of faith. Just like Aaron was marked on his heads, we are marked on our heads by the name of God, by the name of Jesus, by the spirit of the Lord living inside of us. The 144,000 is the community of the redeemed from ancient Israel that trusted in God, those tribes, all the way to us. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve apostles of the New Testament church, twelve times twelve, 144. We said early on the word thousand means just multitude. So this rep number doesn't represent 144,000. I've heard this a thousand times as a kid. Like there's going to be a, there's going to be like, you know, nuclear bombs going off and almost all the Christians are going to die except like 144,000 are going to be huddled in a cave somewhere. No, wrong. No, that's not, that's wrong. That's, that's not how you read this portion of scripture. This is all of the tribes of the people of God throughout the world. The Portuguese, the American, the Indian, the Italian, all of the peoples of God that were grabbed by the hand of God, that were sealed by the Spirit of God, this is that grouping of people that the Lord commands the winds of judgment to be held back so he can grab this group, this portion of each people group around the world and say, this is my remnant, these are my people. In um, chapter 5, we saw that it said that the Lamb had purchased with his blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so this is not um, my idea. This is what Jesus has done and is continuing to do throughout the church age until he's taken his people from every, doesn't say some, every tribe and tongue. And that's why I've argued, some people have said, well, as soon as we preach in every nation, then Christ will return. And I said, no, as soon as the gospel saturates every nation, that Jesus grabs hold of his sons and daughters from every tribe and every tongue, which is why I think we got some time left to do our work here. These in chapter 7, these 144,000, we see these repeated in chapter 14. They're also called bond servants or slaves of God. Uh, they're the ones purchased. And obviously, when you think of a bond servant, you can think of someone that's been purchased. We've been purchased from hell. We were actually slaves of hell, right? Jesus says you can, you're, you're either slaves of, of the devil or you're slaves of God. No man can serve two masters. There's only, it's a bifurcated option. If we think we're serving ourselves, we're fooled. We're not serving ourselves. We're either serving God or we're serving his enemy. And Jesus, by his blood, purchased us to God to not be slaves 
to darkness anymore, but to be slaves to light and the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 1.22, he placed upon us his seal and he put his spirit in our hearts as a pledge of what is to come. Ephesians 1.14, it says this, this is the earnest inheritance of until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise and his glory. We are the purchased possession. Okay, um, last point, and worship team, you can come on up. <clears throat> so when we read this portion of Revelation, if you remember, uh, at the beginning of this journey, we said, okay, we're, Revelation was not just written to some kind of small segment of time in the playing out of the hand of God. It is written to the Christian, to the believer. Uh, and Revelation shows us how we know we're sealed. You know, it's interesting because oftentimes I'll talk to people and um, they'll ask me, do you know if I'm a Christian or not? And I'll say, no, I definitely don't know you're a Christian. I just don't know. Because if you're a Christian, depends upon one, these two things. First is that you have faith in the Son of God. I don't know if you have faith. I don't know if you believe this thing is real. I don't know if you're just like playing a church game. I don't know if you just like, oh, my parents kind of are into this, so I'm kind of into this as well. Like that we believe on Jesus and that secondarily that we're turning away from sin. And I've, I've met people that are in horrible situations. Like they're morally, they're like, you're in a rough situation, but they're turning away from sin. That they're saying, God, I don't know how to deal with this, but you're gonna, you're gonna have to help me. And they come back to the altar. I know young men that are struggling with filth and watching porn. This is like, this is real sin. But they're like, I'm not just submitting to it. I'm turning away from sin. These are the two litmus tests for the believer, for the history of the church. God's judgment does come. Nations do collapse. Is our going to collapse soon? I don't know. Maybe it'll keep going on for another 50 years just just adding trillions of dollars of debt every year. Who knows? I don't know. Seems unlikely. Maybe it will collapse. I don't know. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is saying to one of the churches, I can't remember which one, he says, um, and if you hold on, you hold fast to me, you will be given a white stone with a name inscribed down it that no man will know except he that gives it to you. And the, the picture, the imagery is the same, is that those who hold fast to the testimony of Jesus have faith in him, the testimony, and are turning away from sin. Those are the people that are given the new name, that the name of God is inscribed on their head, that they're sealed with the promise of God. That's it. Is it an intense scripture? Yes. But I actually think it is the fundamental scripture for the believer. All of this other kind of like, it's just a free ticket. All you have to do is believe is, a, is not true. That's a lie. There's nowhere in any of, these, any of this prophecy that's like, well, did you just believe? No, it doesn't say that. It says, did you believe? And we know that it says in Hebrews, faith without works is 
dead? Did you believe and did you act? It's hard sometimes because it's such a materialistic world. It's like, nah, it's just you're going to float away. You know, who knows what's going to happen? The mark of the beast says I'm just a beast. There's nothing more to this life. It's this party and then it's over. The mark of heaven says that, no, I'm actually going to rule and reign with God. That there's a story that goes on into eternity and God chose me to be a part of it. And I'm not perfect with all my stuff, but I'm saying, God, I'm turning to you. God, the sin I've struggled with, Lord, I'm bringing it to the cross. If you want me to pray with you tonight, if you're saying, David, I have sin in my life and I want to bring it to the cross, just raise your hand with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, we just thank you for time. Romans chapter 2. That you're slow to anger and actually you're slow to anger and that slowness allows us to respond to your kindness. God, for every heart in here, God, we thank you for the blood that Jesus shed that we would be forgiven. We thank you for the life of the Spirit that seals us. And God, we turn to you with our pride, with envy, with unforgiveness, with sexual sin. And we lay it at the cross tonight. We say, wash us clean, Jesus. Restore our hearts, God. If we, if, we're, if we just keep getting tangled up, God, bring in mentors into our life. God, bring in fathers and older brothers to lead us through and older sisters and mothers, God, to walk us through areas that are a constant challenge, God. That not just in word, but in word and deed, and in deed, that we follow you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the honor that you've bestowed on us to call us sons and daughters. God, that we would re reciprocate and respond in gracious obedience to your commands in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Acts 20.27 says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And that's something that we're trying to do at King's Church. We're trying to steward God's word and share it to a generation. If you want to partner in us sharing the whole counsel of God's truth, please text KCNYC to 77977 and partner with us here at King's Church to get God's message, his whole counsel, all over the place on podcasts and on radio and around the world so believers like you would be encouraged. Thanks.